You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, the riches you give us in the Holy Scriptures are like a beautiful diamond with so many facets. Grant us to gaze into one of them and make it shine for us in such a way that your clear light shining through it may illumine our hearts and draw us to you. And this we ask in your precious and holy name, which is forever, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Around 1600, Shakespeare had Hamlet ask, to be or not to be? That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them, to die. Whether you're a Shakespeare aficionado or not, that's probably one of the quotes you've heard. He's asking whether it's better to live or to die. To face life with its uncertainties. That's the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to have the peace of the grave. Of course, his hand is stayed by the reality that he's not sure that the grave will bring peace. Or will it bring perdition? A strife that knows no end. What do you want me to do for you? Asks Jesus of Bartimaeus. Now Bartimaeus is someone about whom we know almost nothing. In fact, what we know about him is that he belongs to his father. We're told he's the son of Timaeus, but the name Bartimaeus literally means son of Timaeus. If you have an old King James, or some of the modern translations use this too, there's a place where Jesus addresses Peter and says, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. So quite literally, all we know about Bartimaeus is that he is the son of Timaeus. This has been the way most people have defined their identity, at least in large part, throughout history. We know who we are, they've known who they were, by virtue of whom or what we belong to. I am Brett Bar George, Bar Suzanne. (laughs) I'm also Welsh. We know our not only our mother and father, but our tribe and our clan. Not so long ago, uh, my, my grandfather directly immigrated from Wales. And, um, you know, not too long ago in Wales, a 14-year-old boy was expected to be able to fight and die for his clan. I have my coat of arms at home, and I know well that where the Jenkins name comes from. I have the hooked nose to prove it. 
We know what patch of soil we come from. That helps define us. Mary, remember Mary Magdalene, the first person to encounter the risen Christ? The word Magdala means from the town of Migdal, which is where we get the name Armageddon. The plain of Armageddon, it's just where she's from. That helps distinguish her from Mary the sister of Martha and Mary the mother of our Lord and all the other Marys who pop up in the Bible because, well, Mary was the name of Moses' sister and a lot of Jewish girls were named after her. Sometimes we're defined by our relations that were entered into in a different way. My wife, my wife, catch the my, my wife refers to me as her husband. I belong to her. For half of all the people who've ever walked the face of planet Earth by the estimates of most anthropologists, to know who you were was to know who you belonged to quite literally. Because half the people who've ever lived on the face of the Earth were slaves of one sort or another. To say, I belong to this person, that person. What preceded us? What will endure when we are gone? Our identity is not reducible to a participation in those things, but neither is it separable from them. I am, as I said, Simon, or Simon, listen to me, Brett. I'm Brett. I'm Brett Bar George. Bar Suzanne. But I'm not the same as George and Suzanne, but neither is my identity wholly separate from them, even at 52 years old and one of them's dead. My mother was an alcoholic, but she was also the woman who had the courage to fight for the lowliest person who came into the emergency room and fight for the care that they needed, whether or not they had insurance. Twice in my life, I've placed motions on the floor of a synod assembly at a churchwide group, gathering that have split the room and lost by one vote. What gave me the courage to stand up at a mic and make an unpopular motion? That's my mom and me. What makes me want to hide from myself when I feel like I failed? That's my mom and me too. My life is not the same as my parents, but it is in some important way a continuation of theirs. But the modern world robs us of that kind of connection and that kind of identity. The modern world tells us that we are fundamentally disconnected individuals. That we are born with some magical special person inside of us who's just longing to get out. If only we'll let him or her or increasingly it or they. It also tells us sometimes, well often, in fact, that we have total control over our lives. And by our choices, we can make of ourselves whatever we want. That's a lie. And it's a dangerous lie. I just heard recently that one quarter of all our teenage girls, one quarter, one in four of our teenage girls is either receiving anti-anxiety medication or is in therapy. But you know that's Europe 
and America and Canada and Australia. That's not the world, what we call the developing world, where they've got tons of problems we never face here. So what are we doing differently from them? At least in part, we're telling our young people that lie we talked about last week. If it is to be, it must be me. That if you were to have any future at all, you are 100% to be the author of it. By your choices to create the you you want. In my wife's field, they call this the commodification of the self. Treating yourself like a commodity, something to be bought and sold and traded. Something I can and must construct by my consumer-like choices based on my desires. But I should never question my desires because that's where Madison Avenue makes its money. Once come those desires, if by my choices I construct myself, who's the one making the choice? This is not an academic question for me. It sounds hopelessly academic, I hear that, but it's not. Just a few years ago, I had to bury a young man I knew from very young. His parents or his sister may be watching this stream. He came from a loving family. In fact, my wife and I would look at each other and say, we hope we can be parents like their parents. <laughs> he was handsome. He was accomplished. He was well-loved by his peers. And yet he put a gun to his head and never graduated high school. Why? About three years, hundred years after Shakespeare had the fictional Hamlet ask whether it was better to be or not to be, Walt Whitman wrote these lines. And he was a thoroughly modern man in, in this way. He said, O oh me, O oh life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself. For who more foolish than I, and who more faithless? Of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds around me, I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined, the question, O oh me, so sad recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Whitman was in this way a truly modern man, floundering as so many are floundering today. He was feeding on the crumbs fallen from the Christian table while rejecting the banquet itself for fear that to feast with the Master Jesus would take away from him something he was wrongly convinced he desperately needed and could not live without. Of all the devil's lies, perhaps the greatest is that we can hope to be self-sufficient. 
That the fulfillment of our pathetic desires or the proclamation of our self-chosen identities has even the remotest possibility of satisfying us in the long run. An honest assessment of what we find when we look deep inside ourselves is more shocking and terrifying than our daydreams of glory. It's a lot more like what Whitman in his honesty found when he said, Who more foolish than I? And who more faithless? That's why we come here and confess weekly that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We are, down to our very core, a fatal admixture of the image of God in which we were made and the sin that infects us like a virus inhabiting every cell of our spiritual body. The I who I currently am cannot construct a new and better me. Nor can it hope to save me. I've wondered often as we all do when something like this happens, whether that young man, what, what I missed, what was going on in his heart and his mind, I wondered if he looked inside himself and believing the dangerous lie that we belong to ourselves, couldn't find in himself what the world told him he should find and would find, but instead he found what Whitman found. And despairing of life decided that it was better not to be. What would you like me to do for you? Asks Jesus of Bartimaeus. Faced with this question, Bartimaeus doesn't hesitate for a moment. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He had no question whether life or death was preferable whether it was better to be or not to be. He knew who he was. He was the son of Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus. He was blind. He was a beggar. He knew who he was, but he knew where life was. He had a place to start from to move towards life. And he chose the, the, the site that represented restored life for him. And when Jesus granted him his miracle, the first thing he saw when his desire, this deep desire of his heart was fulfilled, was Jesus himself. And what did, what did Jesus say to him? He, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Go your way. And what does he do in response? He follows Jesus on his way. When we open our eyes and see Jesus, his way becomes our way. Jesus' question to Bartimaeus is posed also to us. What would you like me to do for you? Do you want riches? Do you want recognition? 
Do you want affirmation or sex or success or any of the other little fleeting gifts that, you know, are nice for a little while and pass away? Even physical health, which eventually disappears. If we ask for those kinds of things, we're going to hear Jesus respond like he does in the Sermon on the Mount, saying, Truly I tell you, you have your reward. But if we answer Jesus, let me recover my sight, my spiritual sight. Let me recover what was stolen from me by the power of sin at work in the world. By the deep impression that sin has made on my own soul. The ways in which I have cooperated in my weakness and my folly with that sin. Let me escape that. Let me have my sight. When we say that to Jesus, we will discover that the first thing we see is Jesus himself. And in him we have eternal life. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We hear that differently than most people do, did throughout history. Most people in history knew they belonged to someone else. And that to be purchased by God through Christ was to have a new destiny, a new master. We need to turn from being our own masters to receiving his headship over our lives. Human beings were designed to belong to someone. It's not all of whom we are, but it's a big part of it. The question is, who do we belong to? Our parents? Our clan? The piece of ground on which we were born? Our spouse? Yes, in part. But the one person we don't belong to is ourselves. In fact, when we ask Jesus to give us our spiritual sight, to give us life, we are no longer, we no longer belong to ourselves. But we belong to Him who gave us life. His Father is our Father, for we are united with Him. And our worth, we discover, is not that the powerful play goes on and we may contribute a verse, as Walt Whitman thought, it's not that we might avoid the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Hamlet said, but rather that whatever we experience, we belong to the God of the universe. We are his beloved children, and nothing, nothing can take that away. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, may we have our faith restored, our spiritual sight restored, perform the miracle in our lives, which is faith, that we may secure in your love, face a world of uncertainties, not knowing, not knowing how the powerful play will play out, 
but that however it plays out, we belong to you. And our eternal destiny is secure. Strengthen and bless us to believe this story and not the stories that the world tells us. This we ask through him who can give sight to the blind, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.